0: Uh, Good morning to you. Um, My name is Nathan. If I've not had a chance to meet you, one of the pastors here, it's my joy to open up God's Word and have us consider it. And uh, I begin, as you look at that passage there in Luke 2, by asking you a question. Uh, It's a question that maybe you've never thought about before, and yet it's one probably, the second you hear it, you'll say, you know, I probably should have thought about that before. And here's that question. What is heaven? What is heaven? And then after having understood what heaven is, would you want to go there? What is heaven? And after having understood it, would you want to go there? Well, when we moved here almost 15 years ago, we moved here to start a church, a church, and and we would do these surveys out in the community just to try to get to know people and try to get to know what they believed and what they liked and disliked. And we had this kind of set of questions that we would ask them. And one of the questions that we would ask people in an effort to kind of get to know them was, what happens to people when they die? And to my surprise, I didn't see this one coming, the most popular answer that they gave was nothing. No heaven, no hell, nothing. That was the most popular answer. And yet it's cultural parlance, isn't it? To say if people after they've died, they have, quote, gone to a better place. And yet if heaven, assuming it exists, or that better place is in fact better, we then ask the question, well, why do so few people want to go there? You've heard that song before. uh, Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. It's interesting, isn't it? If we believe in heaven, we think of it fondly, yet we don't rather would like to go there. It would seem as though there's some gaps maybe in our thinking, gaps that maybe we haven't taken the time to consider or worse, gaps that we don't want to consider. We'd rather go on trying to make this heaven, since we're not maybe very sure about the real heaven. So again, what is heaven, and would you want to go there? Well, friends, this is what we'll consider this morning as we continue our Advent series on the gifts of Christ. So far, we've considered the gift of salvation, the gift that is Christ himself. Last week, the gift of the Incarnation. This week we'll consider the gift of heaven. Christ is and brings heaven. And let it be known from the beginning that this church believes that heaven and hell are real. They are a real place. And yes, they are places. The Lord has kindly given us some indication about these places. And in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 20, what we find here is the Lord pulls back the veil and lets us look into heaven for just a bit. And so let's see what we can find in order to define what heaven is and how Christ brings it. Let's see what we can find as we consider the heaven that Christ brings. Take a look there in Luke chapter 2. We find that in the previous passage in verse 7 in particular, Luke chapter 2 verse 7, we see that Christ has been born to Mary and to Joseph there in Bethlehem just as it was prophesied hundreds of years before. And in that same region where Christ was born of Bethlehem, There were some shepherds keeping watch over their flock. And since this flock sits between Bethlehem and Jerusalem, it's very likely that these shepherds were watching over the sheep that will be sacrificed at the temple. But it's there, out in this remote region, to shepherds, shepherds of all people. Not kings, not queens, not wealthy people, not the well-to-do, shepherds we find that an angel of the Lord breaks the monotony, breaks the darkness, and pulls back the veil and exposes heaven to these shepherds. And as he does, we see that, quote, the glory of the Lord shone around them. Glory of the Lord would seem to indicate a kind of uh, bright and mysterious light uh, that is breaking on the scene since we find that it's shining all around them. And of course, we know that God is said to be light, right? In previous stations, we see the Lord has revealed himself as light. We can think about the burning bush. We can think about the top of Mount Sinai. We can think about uh, that pillar of fire leading the Israelites, just to name a few. But there out in the field, we learn the first thing about heaven. As the veil is pulled back and the angel enters into the country of the earth, we find that heaven is full of glory. Full of glory. And this glory is of the Lord. In other words, the glory that we find in heaven is from the Lord. This glory is not something kind of isolated from God, created distinct from God. No, the glory that emanates, that comes out of heaven is from the Lord. The glory emanates from him like light emanates from the sun. And so glory is from the Lord. Heaven is full of glory. The glory of the Lord can sometimes be a difficult thing to define, right? We can, we can see that it is light in a sense, but it's obviously something more than just bright light. Since when the glory of the Lord breaks in on those shepherds, we find that they are in fear. Glory can also be translated weight or heavy. The glory of the Lord is weighty, it's heavy, right? Paul even refers to heaven as a weight of glory. So words and images fail us when it comes to these things, but we might think of the glory of the Lord like we might think of a glorious sunset where the light is so perfect and the scene around it so beautiful that it makes us stop and pay attention to it. The glory of the Lord makes us still and you have to pay attention to it. There's no crude joking in the presence of the glory of the Lord. No frivolous talk. No one is bored or disinterested in the presence of the glory of the Lord. It's captivating. And so as the veil gets pulled back, we learn that heaven is full of the glory of the Lord. And the glory of the Lord is a pervasive, weighty light that emanates from the Lord and draws our attention because it, and because it's so full of the weight of God, the holiness of God, what it does to humanity is it incites fear. More on that in a moment. But the other thing that we see about heaven is that it's full of news of great joy. You can see that there in the angel's message. I bring you... Good news of not joy, good news, it says, of great joy. The Greek there is mega joy. I I bring you good news of mega joy. Heaven, friends, is no joyless, uninteresting bore. It's a place of great joy and glory. The famed atheist, Frederick Nietzsche, said that in heaven, all the interesting people are missing. What an idiot. Right? Sorry. But even, right, even like uh, maybe you've heard the song, ACDC's Highway to Hell. How many sermons, by the way, are going to talk about these two things? But, <laughs> right, think about that, right? They talk about, in that, ser- in that song, they talk about how great it's going to be to go to hell because all their friends are going to be there and they're going to party it up. Or friends, if you believe that heaven is some uninteresting, boring place, you've believed a lie. You've believed a lie. Every single thing that we see in Scripture, everything we hear from those that walk with God, as well as those who haven't, have proven that as glory comes from God, so does joy come from God. Heaven is not a place of joy. It's a place of great joy. Glory and joy. And we ask why. Why is it so joyful? Why is there so much great joy? Well, that's the third thing we learn about heaven. Third thing we learn about heaven is that it is riveted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Heaven is riveted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ. The Lord, and then after that, look down there in verse thirteen. We see that suddenly, right, there was just one angel. Then suddenly, after this announcement of the Christ Child, this Savior that's going to be born to humanity, this multitude of heavenly hosts, right, heavenly hosts could be translated like army, like an army of angels, uh, begin to glorify God and praise Him, saying, "Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace." Notice the definition there. It's not just peace on earth. Peace among those with whom He is pleased. So the veil gets pulled back a little more. An army of angels comes bursting on the scene, singing glory to God. Because, why? Why the joy? Because God has come to the earth in the flesh. In the form of the second person of the Trinity. And why did He come? Why did the God in the flesh come? Why did He come? To be a Savior. That's what the angel said. He's a Savior. To bring peace to those with whom he is pleased. And how is he going to bring peace to them? Well, by being a Savior. By saving them from their sins. So these angels, imagine, right? You're out there. You're a shepherd. You're in the field, right? Glory shining around you multitude of angels all around you and they are partying. The angels are partying like it's 1999, right? It is crazy. They're going everywhere. They're singing glory to God, praise, right? Why? Because the king of glory was breaking in. Because the plan of redemption that the angels would have known about, right? That uh, even God had predicted in his word, it's coming to fruition. The gospel, friends, is what excites heaven. And look at those names of the child in verse 11 that the angel announces. Unto you is born this day a Savior, right? That's the name Jesus. Slide down to verse 21, by the way. You'll see that name is given to him. The name Jesus means Savior, right? He's a Savior. He's Christ, right? That's Messiah, anointed, referencing the kingliness and the priesthoodness of this child. And then third, Lord. He's the Lord. The Savior that will bring glory to God and peace on the earth with those of whom He is pleased is none other than the Messiah, Lord Himself. God has literally written Himself into the story. Simeon would see this little baby about a week after these events, and he will save him that he's seen the salvation of God. A light for revelation to the nations and for glory to your people Israel. Friends, heaven is riveted by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Jesus himself agrees with the angel's announcement himself. He would go on to say in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, I came why? To seek and to save the lost. Notice he doesn't say, I I came to make that possible. He says, I came to do it. John 12, 27, Jesus would go on to say, right before he goes to the cross, Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. He understood, Jesus understood that it is coming. The whole purpose was to die, that men might live and have peace with God and be in heaven with Him. Christ, the Lord of all, came from heaven to earth so that His people might go from earth to heaven by His grace. He came as a Savior to rescue us. Friends, he did not come to, I want to hear me loudly, friends, if you're not a Christian, Jesus did not come to just affirm us as we are. It's not, he didn't want to come and say like, you're awesome. That's not why he came. He didn't come to just give us some good advice. Well, you know, you guys are not, seem to not things are not going around. Let me, let me help you with a few things. He didn't come to kind of give us a pep talk, you know, like at a football game. Right? He, didn't, he, he didn't even come, as I said, to make salvation possible. No, he came to accomplish it, to do it. He came, as he said, to seek and to do it, to save the lost. And he came, as we know, for the purposes of dying on the cross for sinners. This is why the angels called this rescue mission good news of great joy and not good advice of moderate interest, right? Slightly interesting information of considerable dullness. That's not what it said, right? It doesn't say like nice religious commands for possible deliverance. No, not good opinions of great displeasure. No, that's not what it says. They came with good news of mega joy because a Savior had come from earth, heaven to earth, and this Savior was none other than Christ the Lord. And friends, it is this, this piece of humiliation, like God becoming man, and mediation, Christ substituting himself for sinners. That especially invigorates heaven. Humiliation and mediation in the gospel. That while we who dwell on the earth have reason to fear. We do. We have reason to fear in the presence of the glory of the Lord. God came on a rescue mission by humbling himself to becoming a man. Not losing any of his deity, but adding to it his humanity. A humanity, by the way, whose flesh would veil his true worth. And be subject to all the foolishness and sinfulness of the very people he made in his image. Who would go on to die a gruesome, horrendous death as a substitute like one of those sheep. Humiliation and mediation by the king of creation for salvation to sinners. As one pastor has said, Jesus left the heights of glory to visit the depths of shame. He left the wonders of heaven to the wickedness of the earth. He went from exaltation to humiliation, from the throne to the tree, dignity to debasement, worship to wrath, from the halls of heaven to the nails of the earth, from coronation to the curse, from glory to the gory place of the cross. And by the way, he did it willingly with love in his heart. You can see why the angels are rejoicing. The angels knew that the only way glory and praise would come to God amongst men would be by God coming to men. They knew that. That's how big the problem was. It couldn't be solved with the sacrifice of animals. This distance between us and God. It couldn't be solved by the sacrifice of animals. It couldn't be solved by good deeds or good intentions or just niceness. Right? It required, we see, right? it required God. As one pastor has said, before heaven is good news, it's an indictment, right, that this is what it requires. The gospel of Jesus Christ is, friends, the only worldview, the only worldview that takes evil and darkness and sin seriously and calls it what it is, as evidenced by the fact that it demanded God to come and accomplish it. All other religions basically in some way, shape, or form are basically going to say, he'll give you a little bit of help, but it's up to you and you can do it, maybe. Maybe. Whereas God says, no, you can't. So I'll come and accomplish on your behalf. This is why the angels rejoice. Friends, heaven is full of glory and great joy because it is full of the Christ who made sinners into saints through his living, through his dying and his rising. Jesus accomplishes redemption by his offering his perfect blood to those that live and trust in him. It is not good advice or good rules. It's good news of what's been done Which is why Jesus says it's finished. Which brings me back to the next thing about heaven that we learn from this veil being pulled back. We've seen as the veil has been pulled back there, out in the shepherd's field, we see that heaven is full of glory. It's full of great uh, joy. It's full of the gospel. And fourthly, heaven is a place of peace. Place of peace. When you receive salvation from the Savior, Christ the Lord, You have peace with God and you're found to be among those with whom God is pleased. That's what we learn there, which, by the way, tells us something else about heaven is full of people. Heaven is full of people who have peace with God because God has chosen. Don't miss this to have pleasure with his people. He loves his people, delights in his people, pleased with his people. Heaven is full of peace and pleasure. Christ came to save us from the one thing that disconnected us from His holiness. And the only reason the angel could tell the shepherds to fear not, friends, is because these angels knew that there was good news of great joy, that unto them was born a Savior that would bring peace to those of whom God is pleased. God in Christ made peace with sinners at the cross for those that repent and believe because God had pleasure in His people and made them citizens of His own dwelling made them citizens of heaven, right? The only reason why the angel could say fear not because there's reason to fear was because of this beautiful work of Christ. Referencing the Christian and this peace that the Christian has with God, Paul writes in Romans 5.1, therefore, since we, notice the word, have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. How would we get it? How would we get that peace? So that we can fear not and be in the presence of the glory of the Lord. Well, through our Lord Jesus Christ. doesn't say through us, through Him. And then look what Paul says next. And notice how it connects into this event here in the fields of the shepherds. Romans 5.2 Through Him we have also obtained access, not by our works, but by faith into Christ, into this grace in which we stand. We rejoice in the hope of glory. Right. If you'd have told the uh, shepherds five minutes before the glory of the Lord broke in about this glory, they'd have been like, probably trying to get the peace, peace out. Right. Get away from here. But if you have faith in God, you can know glory's coming. I'm going to have peace. We can hope in it. Peace and pleasure with God come through Christ. Therefore, we won't have to fear when the glory of God shines around us. But instead, we will rejoice with the angels because we have peace and pleasure with God through the work of Christ. Heaven is a place of glory, great joy, peace, and pleasure because heaven is a place that is riveted by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, guys, there's tons more that we can talk about in this passage, right, to sort of learn more about heaven. We can talk about the fact that heaven apparently has a whole lot of angels, right? We can talk about how heaven has a lot of singing in it, whatever the case may be. But let's just take a moment now. And see how we can respond to this. All right? The veil has been pulled back. We've looked into heaven. We've seen what's there. How do we respond? And, and in particular, how do we learn from these shepherds and how they respond? So as to know how we might respond. How we might even experience a little bit of heaven now. Let's take a look here and see. Four ways. Four ways that we can experience heaven while still on the earth. Here's the first one. Make haste to go to Christ. Make haste to run to Jesus. Look at verses 15 and 16. What's the first thing they do when the veil is pe- After the veil kind of gets, they pulled up, and then they the veil gets pulled back in, right? Off they go. The angels leave. What's the first thing that these shepherds say when they've seen heaven? Let's hightail it to Christ, right? Let's sprint. Let's take off, right? The Greek here is amazing. It's like, I mean, they're just on a dead sprint. Let's sprint as fast as we can to Jesus. So do you want to know the glory? Do you want to know the great joy? Do you want to know the peace and the pleasure of heaven? Well, friend, then run to Christ, the darling of heaven. Run to him. The angels we see are riveted by Christ and the first people to hear this gospel, they run to Christ. And so we, having heard this good news of great joy, joy should do the same thing that they all did. And run to Christ. All the throngs of people, that's what they've done. All of God's people, from the time of the shepherds till today, running to Christ. Jesus even invites us, come to me. And yet I realize, you say, Nathan, what? Are we supposed to go, like, book a flight to Jerusalem? How are we going to do that, right? (laughs) I get it. The reality is we can't physically run to him as those shepherds did. But friends, one day we will. One day we will be able to run to Him. But until then, He has made Himself known to us. His presence is here. right? He has made known to Himself to us in three ways. And you all know these three ways. So I'm just going to feed them to you just to kind of uh, illuminate the ways in which you can experience heaven. Frame them in this way. How is it you run to Christ? Well, you run to Him in His Word. You run to Him in prayer. You run to Him in His church. Right? The Word is called the Word of Christ. It's His Word. It's one of the reasons I like to say that I don't necessarily... I mean, I do follow the Bible, but I follow Christ. And so I follow His Word. The Word, the Bible centers on Him. Its entire, entire narrative is woven together by Him and for Him. In the Bible, we see His character, His wisdom, His actions, His heart, His promises. And so guys, when you read the Bible, when you read the Bible, know that you're reading His Word. And so look for Him in it. Study Him in it. Each day, understand that you're doing as those shepherds did. Each day, wake up and run to Christ by running to His Word. Run to His Word. Have the Word read to you. You read it yourself. Have the Word preached to you as it is now. Right. Uh, sing the Word. Pray the Word. And as you do, friends, you'll experience heaven since Christ is the darling of heaven. And don't be satisfied with preaching and don't be satisfied with reading books that are thin and veneer. Get deep with Christ by running to good preaching, good teaching, good reading that will help you think deeply about the Word of Christ. And secondly, after having experienced Christ in His Word, then, right, having trusted, treasured in Christ, you can run to Him by praying to Him, by praying to Him. You guys know what happened? One of my most favorite things, by the way, when I, when I speak with my Roman Catholic friends, this is the thing that I'll almost always share with them. I'll ask them a simple question. Uh, How do you understand what happened when Jesus died, like that moment that Jesus died? You all know what happened? You know that moment? It's a significant moment, right? The moment that Jesus died, we find that just down the road there in the temple, right, there was a veil that was separating humanity and even priests from the glory of God, the presence of God. A priest could only go into it one time a year. And the moment that Jesus died, the moment that he offered up his life, his body, his blood for sinners that would believe, the moment that happened, we read in the text that a veil is torn and it's significant the direction of it from top to bottom. God was ripping the veil because God had atoned for sinners so that now anybody that have been found in Christ, they all can run in. They can all go into the presence of God. And the way that we do that now is through prayer. We can go to God in prayer. Do you understand guys, you ever thought about prayer this way? Prayer is a privilege that the gospel has purchased for us. So we can run to Christ by praying to Christ. He's made himself known to us by the power of His spirit and so by prayer we can go directly to Him. right? We don't need uh, saints, we don't need human beings to sort of pray through. right? First Timothy 2 makes it clo- so clear there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. We can go to God by praying straight to him, asking him to show you more of himself. Have you prayed that? God, show me more of your glory. Help me see something of it. Help me see more of the glory of Christ. And he promises to do that, to reveal it to you, to show more of himself to you. He promises to reveal you to himself so that you might experience the good news of great joy that's found in his coming. So go to Christ through prayer. He lived and he died to make prayer possible. And then the third thing, the third way you can run to Christ is by running to this, running to his body, the church, his wife, the church. Jesus said that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not stand against its advance. And of course it hasn't. The very presence of this church and so many others is revealing the fact that Jesus was right about that, that he was building his church and nothing could stop it. And the church, we understand, is the body of Christ. It's the bride of Christ. The church, we might say, is heaven's suburb in the country of the earth. Or, as 2 Corinthians 5 might have us to see, the church is an embassy of heaven here on the earth. So by moving your life into its orbit, you are able to experience more of that veil being pulled back as you get glimpses into heaven in the life of the church. As you hear the word preached, right, you see, hopefully even this moment, you're seeing more of Christ. As you sing today, right, you're joining in the choir of the angels as we were singing uh, singing a minute ago, as we'll sing in in a bit, right? We're literally joining into a song that the angels are singing in heaven as we speak. As you see people baptized, right, we see the people that Christ has united himself to, those ones of whom he is pleased. As we go to the table, as we'll do this morning, we get a glimpse of the great banquet that we will have with him in the heavenly Jerusalem. At members meetings, when our church have members meetings, we bind and loose. We are marking off the citizens as we exercise the keys of the kingdom. And the church, most certainly, friends, is a clunky thing, right? I'm one of your leaders, so surely it's a little clunky. But it's a beautiful thing. Flecks of heaven are thrown off each week in its life together. And so if you long to experience the heaven that Christ brings, then run to Christ by running to his word, running to him in prayer, running to him in the life of the church, and in doing so, friends, you will taste heaven. But after running to Christ in these ways, the next question we ask, well, uh, what do you do after you come to him? And that's the second way we respond to this uh, preview of heaven. The second way that we can experience heaven Right? We run to Christ, and then secondly, after running to Him, we worship Christ. Right? That's what the angels were doing. Uh, now that Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father on high, right? That's what they are doing. They're worshiping Christ. The shepherds ran to Christ because they were endeavoring to enter into the good news of great joy. They were in a hurry to see heaven's centerpiece and participate in the worship therein. And this, friends, is exactly what the wise men did that came about a year or two ago, which, you know, sorry to burst your brother, but if you have a nativity scene, maybe best to put the wise men on the other side of the room. Sorry. Yeah, there's probably not three of them. Maybe there was three of them. We don't know how many there were. They had three gifts. So anyway, really wise men. Maybe there was 10 of them, but they got there probably when he was at least one or two. Uh, But let's see what happens when they show up. They come to Christ. What do they do? Matthew 2, 10 and 11. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Does that sound familiar? And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Worship, friends, is at the heart of heaven. And worship is centered on the adoration and the honoring of heaven's champion, Christ the Lord. Heaven friends is fine. if you're looking for just a simple definition of heaven heaven is the dwelling place of god it's the dwelling place of god therefore wherever god is there you can find something of heaven and so heaven invaded the earth in the person of christ he brings heaven to those of whom he is pleased and we then as it comes we then respond and worship to him this will be where the joy of heaven is found adoring and adoring christ through worshiping christ and the reality is, friends, if you're wondering, everybody worships, right you ever thought about that? you ever think about what's the top ten things that you're good at? Can I just tell you that one of the, in the top five is worshiping? you are fantastic at worshiping. The question is what are you worshiping? right you can't not worship The most ardent of atheists Frederick Nietzsche worship you have to worship you're created to worship. you can't not no matter how hard you try, you worship worship, which tells us that we're created with the capacity to do it. The reality is, friends, everything else in all of the world is unable to carry our worship. So money, this is why, by the way, money, sex, power, and earthly glory, this is why they never satisfy. Because they're a fleeting glory. If you worship at their altars, they will only leave you unsatisfied, looking for more glory. Friends, that's not the case with Christ. When you come to Him and worship Him, There you will find a glory that will offer you a joy and a peace that will never fade, but only increase for an eternity. So run to Christ and worship Christ. You then say, okay, Nathan, how do I do that? You tell me I'm good at worshiping. How do I increasingly worship Christ? Well, just look at the things that describe uh, the people that interact with Christ in the story here. Look at verse 17. How do we worship Christ? Well, look at verse 17. All who heard the testimony of the angels Underline this word, wondered at what they told them. Verse 18, next verse. Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Worship, to worship is to wonder at Christ. You ever wonder? You know, I love that word. I like to break it up. Ever say that word, wonderful? Full of wonder. That's what we do when we worship. We treasure up. We ponder the beauty of Christ, the glory of Christ and the gospel. And as you ponder it, as you treasure it up, as you think about it, as you revel in it, as you sing about it, as you meditate on it, pondering it in your heart, there you worship Christ. There you will begin to experience the great joy and peace of heaven. The question was, uh, or actually the statement, this question and statement was posed last week of a brother here was sharing with us a, a, a line from Alistair Begg who's, when he said, what do you think about when you don't have anything to think about? It's a great question. What do you think about when you don't have anything to think about? And the question for us is, as we think about heaven, and the chief glory of heaven is Christ himself, how often does your mind wonder, treasure up, ponder the glory of God in Christ and the gospel? How often do you do that? When is it do you open up your Bible in the morning and then pray? Do you, what happens in that moment, right? Or maybe in the afternoon, right? What happens when you open up your Bible and you pray? Do you just sort of read through? All right, got it. God, thank you for the word. Off you go. Is that what happens? Check it off the list. Or do you read? Do you actually put, after reading, you put a little pause in between what you read and what you pray. And there you insert, wondering treasuring, which then is the gas, the fuel to your prayer and worship. life. In other words, do you take a small moments not just even in that moment, but throughout your day, do you take small moments to treasure up to the glorious truths of the gospel? Do you imagine its glory, its beauty, its truth for the world? Friend, here's the thing. I want to stick you with this. If you do not treasure up and enjoy the Christ of Heaven now, here on the earth, you won't enjoy the Christ in Heaven, right? Like, why would you want? To, remember that question that I asked at the beginning of the sermon: What is Heaven, and do you want to go there? Well, if you're not enjoying Christ and wondering and treasuring Him up now, why in the world would you want to go to Heaven? That's what you're going to do. You say, "Well, it's the better of two options." Well, you're going to need a little better answer than that. And the friend, the reality is, is heaven is worth considering. Christ is indeed more glorious than anything else you can imagine. To enjoy Christ on the earth is to demand that you guys, you turn off your phones, turn off the TV, you put down the computer, and you find some times in your life throughout your week to pause, to treasure up, to be still, and know that God is God and that heaven is coming. You treasure these things up in your heart. John Owen said some 500 years ago, make every effort to prepare your minds for heavenly thoughts. If your thoughts are filled with earthly things, then a sense of Christ's love and its glory will not abide in them. He goes on, we must not allow ourselves, this line has been so helpful to me, by the way, we must not allow ourselves to be satisfied with vague ideas of the love of Christ, which present nothing of his glory to our minds, for it is by such vague thoughts that many deceive themselves and then he presses in on this notion of treasuring up clarifying distinct clear truths of the gospel he then says with such clear ideas of the love of christ and by worship you may walk in the paradise of god and enjoy the sweet perfume of his mediatorial love owen oh, in this book that's i'm quoting from his book glory of christ if you're looking for a book to read in the new year that's a fantastic one and in there, he says that if you want to really grow up in treasuring the glory of Christ, then understand his humiliation and his mediation. Wonder, treasure up, ponder Christ and the gospel and all that Christ is for you. And I know what some of you are thinking, Nathan. When am I going to get a few quiet moments? Right, it's all I can do to you know get a few moments to just you know I don't know look at Twitter for five. Where am I going to find that time? Well, that might be the time, by the way, but nevertheless, you might be asking, right? How do I, where am I going to find this time? Where am I going to find a few quiet moments to wonder at the glory of Christ and his heaven? Well, I would respond in this way. How could you not find time? You eat, don't you? You sleep, don't you? At least you try to. And you do that not only because they are Desires to be satisfied, but you do them because you know that by them, eating and sleeping, you do that because you know that by them you'll live. Friends, so it is with worshiping Christ and the glory of Christ. It works the exact same way. You will not live spiritually, find that good news of great joy that satisfaction of heaven. You will not live spiritually unless you do as the angels did, unless you do as the shepherds did, as the wise men did, as Mary and Joseph did, and pause, treasure up with specificity the glory of God in the face of Christ. You need to know, friend, you are not what you believe. You are not what you believe. You are what you love and you do what you love. All kinds. This is the dish. Why do I not? You know, why are people say they believe this and do that? It's because they are what they love, not necessarily what they believe. You are what you love, and you prioritize what you love. You love Christ. Ponder Him, treasure Him. Right? It is no chore for me to treasure up and ponder the beauty of my wife. Man, we love Jesus, right? Treasure Him up. Find those moments because by them we live. And so if you intend to enjoy heaven, enjoy Christ by worshiping him on the earth, by securing for yourselves throughout the day moments where you wonder, where you treasure, where you ponder the good news of great joy that is your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Heaven's preoccupation. You find moments to do that. And after having done that, what else can we do in experiencing the great joy of heaven? We've said so far, right? run to Christ. That's how we can experience heaven that he brings Two, We then worship him. Then third, how do we respond? We speak of him. We speak of Christ. That's how we enjoy heaven. Look at verse 17. And when they saw it, the child, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. So these guys, they're, right, they're hightailing it to Jesus, right? One of my you know, this is not my top twenty moments to be there, but it would be in my top one hundred. Like, what was that like when these shepherds come in the door? Right, I'm sure Joseph, Joseph, like, whoa, who who are, who are you? Right, but these guys like busting the door. So <sighs> he's swaddling Yo, I think that's the one right there. There he is. Right, and they're like, right, the shepherds are, oh, yeah, that's it. yeah. Right, and Mary and Joseph, like, what is going on right now? Right. They then speak of Him when they see him. They speak. They say words. Well, okay, what? Angels. Angels spoke. Light. Glory. Christ. They told us. Right? They're telling. They're speaking of what they'd heard. They speak of what they've been told by the angels. And that's what people that love Christ and the heaven He brings do. They can't help but speak of the one that they love and are going home to. Evangelism and discipleship, friends, are not just a command that we are obligated to participate in out of drudgery and dread. But these disciplines of evangelism and discipleship, they are a delight to commend our Savior's to others. We can think about that story of Peter and John after having experienced the resurrected Christ They then go out, having not been courageous before. Now they're courageous. Spirit comes in them. They've seen the resurrected Christ. They're spreading the gospel. And the authorities come up, right? D.C. Metro Police shows up at the door and says, y'all got to shut shut this down. Stop evangelizing, right? And Peter and John, great moment, Acts 4, like, y'all do what you need to do, right? You do you. We're preaching the gospel. Why does he say that? You look in the line in Acts 4, because we cannot help but speak of what we have seen and heard. That's what we do, right? We've seen Christ. We love this gospel. I cannot but help but speak of it. Don't tell me. I mean, you can tell me not to talk about it, but I'm going to talk about it because I love it, right? I mean, can you imagine the shepherds not speaking of the glory of the Lord and Christ the Lord and the glimpse they saw into heaven? Can you imagine them not speaking about that? Imagine them coming home, let's say the next morning, right? They get into there. Their wife is there. They get in. Honey, how was last night's work? Right, they go in ah, uh, oh, you, know, fine, ah, a few errands, yeah, I saw some light, yeah, whatever, and they go to sleep, right, do you think that's how it went down? No, right, they're like, you know, bust in the door again, wife, let me tell you about what happened, right? They couldn't help but speak of it. I'm sure they're probably these shepherds are if they could have post on on Instagram, right. You know, street preaching, I don't know, whatever else, they would have done that. Look at verse 20. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. By the way, did you notice that's almost the same language of what the angels were doing? Did you catch that? So in other words, they are doing heaven on the earth. That's what people who have experienced the transforming power of the gospel do. They begin to live in the same way that the residents of heaven do. They are changed by the glory of the Lord and they live for that glory. They stop chasing their own glory because they've literally seen the light of the glory of Christ. And there is nothing and no one better. And they want more people to experience what they have seen. So they speak of him. We cannot help but speak of that which we love. And those that are in Christ, those that love Christ, they then speak of Christ to others, commending him to others so that they too might enter the joy of heaven. I'm spending time these days, Lord willing, have a sabbatical coming up this summer, spending some time looking at these YouTube videos of this one place for a week we might go. And friends, right, it's, there's this one in particular that's uh, kind of funny to watch. It's this couple. She's just got beaming like she went to the Grand Canyon. And she's like, and then there's this trail, and then there's this, and then there's that, and then you gotta need to go do this, right? Because they experience glory, and they're commending it. So, friends, this Christmas, I don't know. I understand that you have some family and friends that are very obstinate to the gospel. I understand that it's hard. I understand that, Lord, it, it requires courage, but commend. Christ to others. Speak of Him. Commend Him. Speak of Christ to others. If heaven is your home, heaven's champion is your great joy, then tell others about what you've seen and heard as the shepherds did. Tell uh, other people about the good news of great joy. Don't keep it to yourself. And as you do, you too, like those shepherds, will enter into the joy of the angels and experience what they experienced in heaven. Even now, you can experience that heaven. You know, I realize, friends, as we kind of round down here, even with some clarity about what heaven is and what heaven is all about, I realize as we learn even about some of the joy of heaven, I realize it still falls a little short, doesn't it? Not that heaven falls short, not that, but our experience of heaven here in the country of earth, it still kind of falls short, right? Paul, Paul says after reflecting in heaven, for now we see in a mirror dimly, right? He recognizes that even now, Right? We still we see some of it, but it's still a little dim for us to see. But for those shepherds, like there was, I don't know what it was, five, ten minutes? Right, It wasn't dim. They saw it all. It was bright. But then the days that followed, as glorious as those days were for the shepherds, I'm sure that they would have agreed with Paul after a moment of time that they saw in a mirror dimly. So do we. The evils and the entrapments of the earth cloud our vision of heaven even on our best days when we do run to Christ and worship Him and speak of Him. Listen, remember what Paul says next, that while we see in a mirror dimly now, remember what Paul says next. For, For now, for now, we see in a mirror dimly, see the glory of heaven dimly, but then, but then, but then, face to face. Now, he says, I know in part, Then I shall know know fully. In other words, he's referencing the return of Christ. We see in a mirror dimly now, but then when Christ returns, it won't be dim. We'll see him face to face and it'll be full as it was for those shepherds. That day, friends, is coming. You see, beloved, as the saints of old waited for the coming of Christ, we wait for the second and final return. Those shepherds had the glory of the Lord shown round about them, and then after a time, it faded. But friends, a day will come when it will no longer fade. The glory of the Lord in heaven will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. And on that day, we will no longer see dimly. But like those shepherds, we will be surrounded by glory for an eternity. It will never fade. And so for those of us in Christ, on that moment when we either die and maybe come into the presence of Christ or at Christ's return, when that day happens, the glory of the Lord will show round about us. And for those of us in Christ, listen, the angels are going to say to you, fear not. Fear not. You're going to be prone towards fear, by the way. right? You're not going to sashay into the presence of God. What's up? right? That's not happening. That's not the way it's going to go down. You're going to see the glory just as these shepherds. Glory shown round about you, and you're going to be... <clears throat> It's going to be so magnanimous, so beautiful, so big. And the angel is going to say, you don't need to fear. He's going to go, right? He's going to open up the book of heaven for those of us in Christ. And they're going to go, Nathan, good to see you, brother. Come on in. Enjoy Christ. And you're going to hear singing that's going to be great. and You're going to see Jesus. and You're going to enjoy him forever with all the people that God has pleased with. We will experience an ever-increasing eternal upbuilding of glory and of peace and of pleasure and of great joy because we will worship our Savior Christ, Lord, no longer by faith but by sight, the source of joy, the source of pleasure and peace. We will join the chorus of the angels as we are in part here this morning. We will sing with happy hearts and tear-filled eyes of the love that we've seen in Christ, and it will never end. It will never end. That is and ever will be heaven, friends. On a resurrected earth, worshiping a resurrected Savior with our resurrected bodies. He brought heaven, Jesus did, with him. Its deposit is here now, and it will come again in its fullness. And soon enough, he will return, and he will bring the new Jerusalem down out of heaven, down to the earth. And until then, we say, last lines of the Bible, come, Lord Jesus. But if you've not yet trusted Christ, you need to know, friend, if you've not yet trusted and treasured Christ, following Him, you need to know that when the glory of the Lord shows round about you, you will have reason to fear. The angel will not say fear not because you don't have the good news of great joy. You've rejected it. But today's the day of salvation. You can know the joy of Christ today through repenting and believing, repenting of sin, repenting of all the ways that you've sought out other glories, your own glory, chief among them, and instead say, I want Him. Listen, turn from sin, trust in Him, and you can find life. It can be said of you today, friend, that are not in Christ, fear not, because you've believed in the good news of great joy. You can be among those of whom God says to be have pleasure in. And if that is you, friend, tell somebody, right? Worship Christ and then speak of Christ to me or somebody else. But don't leave here unchanged. Well, the gift of Christ is the gift of heaven. He brings us all of his glory. And because of the sufficient work of Christ, we can enjoy that glory and fear it not. And so may we run to Jesus. May we worship Jesus. May we speak of Jesus. And may we wait upon him, God and Savior. Jesus.